0: Kyle Creek goes by the online moniker, The Captain. And I was initially drawn to having a conversation with him because he just seems like one of those guys that's willing to talk about anything and talk about it vulnerably. And so this is one of those podcasts where him and I just go into any topic that's on our hearts and minds, covering a wide range of things from parenthood to vulnerability. And it's just a great conversation with a really good guy and you get to have an even deeper insight into myself, and into Kyle, and into what's underneath this idea, this veneer of the captain, and why he decided to come out as Kyle Creek. He's also a prolific author, published many different books, and it's just a great conversation. So enjoy this podcast with Kyle Creek. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Branch Basics. So one of the things that I can't stand about traveling is all of the shitty, harsh, cleaning products that you'll find in different airbnbs and hotel rooms you just can feel that there's a lot of toxic chemicals that are being used to both wash your dishes clean your sheets wipe down your bathroom counter this is something that really needs to change from the chemicals that we put in our food supply to the chemicals that we put in our food supply through the dishes that we're actually using and through the sheets that we're wearing, the way in which chemicals are absorbed through our skin, all of this needs to be reimagined. And Branch Basics has taken care of that. They have non toxic cleaning products of all different varieties. The packaging looks cool too. So you'll look stylish. You know that you're actually providing your home and your guests in your home with really, actually clean products that they can use. Branch Basics is better for babies. It's better for pets. It's better for you. It's a clear, easy choice. So check it out. You'll get 15% off all starter kits at branchbasics.com slash Marcus, just like it sounds. Branchbasics.com slash Aubrey Marcus, and you will save 15%. Our next sponsor on today's episode is Let's Get Checked. One of the things that's very difficult to understand without actually getting checked is where your hormone levels are. Whether you're a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter. Hormones are affecting so many aspects of your life from physical performance to sexual performance to even mood. So many things are dependent upon our hormones. And Let's Get Checked is one of the best ways to actually figure this out. They're going to send you a home test kit. There'll be some saliva, a finger prick for blood test. And then you send it in and the clinicians review it. And then once the clinicians review it, let's say you order the male hormone complete test then you'll get testosterone, estradiol, prolactin, free androgen, cortisol, and sex hormone binding globulin, all of which are really important to painting the picture. Recently, my wife got tested, Vilana, and she discovered that there were some tweaks that she needed to make to her hormone profile. It's something that is very important to actually get a handle on and understand if you really wanna optimize your performance. So if you're interested, go to trylgc.com slash Aubrey Marcus and use code Aubrey Marcus for 25% off your home test kit. Once again, trylgc.com slash Aubrey Marcus. Code Aubrey Marcus for 25% off your home test kit. Next up, we have Four Visions Market. And Four Visions Market is kind of my go to place for a lot of shamanic tools. It supports over 30 different indigenous artists and their families through more than fair trade purchase of so their spiritual tools and art. They got high quality, made in prayer medicines. It's a bridge to over 15 Amazonian tribes that are sharing their traditions and really their magic and medicine. of the proceeds are going to go directly to the tribes, artisans, and healers. And on top of that, 4Visions Market donates 10% of their profits to their partner nonprofit, Movement for Amazonian Growth and Indigenous Cultures, they call it the Magic Fund, and other different Amazonian operations with missions that are aligned with their values. This year, Four Visions Market, they're spearheading a native plant reforestation and seed preservation project in the Colombian Amazon, as well as a bunch of different support for the Putumayo region and the hundreds of indigenous people there. The tools from the Four Visions Markets, they're all handcrafted. If you're talking about caripes or tepes, and all of the different botanicals, they're wild harvested, again, in sacred, pla- again, in sacred prayer and the proper way. And you're really receiving... You know, genuine medicinal tools from these incredible traditions that have deeply impacted my life. So, some of the products they include they have an ambi sachayage microdose tincture, ceremonial grade cacaos, Amazonian king nettle, melipona honey eye drops for eye health, nausea oil for nasal support, a healing spray, and of course, their hape, which I absolutely love. So, if you're interested in any of these goodies, Check out fourvisionsmarket.com, F-O-U-R, visionsmarket.com, F-O-U-R, visions and use the code AMP for 15% off your very first order. I also wanted to mention that if you're interested in some more exclusive content, we launched a Supercast channel, and this has a bunch of different mini-podcasts and different other AMAs that are not offered anywhere else. So if you're interested in diving a little bit deeper into some Different conversations and actually have the opportunity to ask questions and hear me answer them in an AMA podcast format. Check out Aubreymarcus and all of the podcasts will be there as well and they'll all be ad free. Thank you so much for your support and onward we go. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Kyle Creek. The coolest thing about Man Coons, if you see those big gray ones, they look like a
1: wizard that would quiz you to cross a bridge, <laughs> like if you were walking and you're on a trek uh-huh. and a, something had to ask you three questions, it would be a gray Maine Coon. Dude, just take enough mushrooms.
0: That's what I'm saying. And that's talk a, to your minkoon and maybe, understand, maybe that, maybe the secrets, ha- understand. Maybe that's the what's going to happen. Understand what's going to happen to me. We we just started this podcast. This podcast is rolling. You oh. were explaining one thing that I think is is worth talking about. We're talking about pets. Yeah. And I just popped open your book and I found this thing about death of a pet and it's uh speech therapy 52 pick-me-ups to get you through many of life's what the fucks i actually just helped bury my sister's boxer and uh and so that got us on the conversation i want to talk about that but first i want to talk about you being a revised cat hater you're moving from cat hating to a new more evolved it's a, it's a
1: it's a more mature self for sure <laughs> um Yeah. I mean, growing up, I was always very anti-cat. And then in 2019, I had a real depressive spell and my girlfriend had a cat at the time. And I had never had an animal be there for me like that cat was. Like that cat was just always on my lap and it could just sense when I wasn't feeling right. And it would come lay on my chest or I'd be in bed Mm. at night and I'd wake up and the cat would be sleeping on me or be nestling up in my beard. And before that, I I had a complete you know I was reviled by cats.
0: What 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 is it? Cuz that's something that you find in men, particularly sometimes some women. I
1: think it's mostly men. I think it's cuz it's easy. I think because as a man you feel like you need to have a rebellious spirit around you and it's easy to pick on something like a cat because they are they're very polarizing. And so if you want to come across as someone who has a Like, oh, I'm very steadfast in my beliefs. You can't change them. It's easy to be like, oh, fuck cats. Um, (laughs) So
0: it defines a certain aspect of your identity. It does. I have another theory. My theory is is that most men are frustrated by their longing and desire to be loved by the feminine. Mm -hmm. Like we all have those people, especially when you're going to school, right? Like you're a freshman and there's a freshman girl in your class and you fucking really are into her, but she's into the junior. Mm-hmm. Or, the, or the or somebody a little older and like you, you're always a little frustrated, you know, whether it's freshman in high school or freshman in fucking college, there's this like frustration that you love something, but they won't like return that love, something beautiful mm-hmm. and it won't return that love and cats can have that spirit. Where it sounds like your cat was very loving and probably re- revise I mean, that, but it's like it's like I love you. Why don't you love me? And the cat's like, I don't fucking care. Well, that's out of here.
1: That's one of the things I admire about cats now. Is you have exactly. to re- you have to earn their affection, exactly. And even then, they'll be very selective with it. <laughs> so it makes you appreciate when the cat. does. It's like everyone says, you know, you go to a party and the dog chooses you, like you feel like you're the chosen one in the uh-huh. room. If a cat will
0: choose you. That's a next level of attraction, in and your then life. it's like then it's like the goddess chose you. Then it's mm-hmm. like then it's like finally the woman chose you, and so it can, you can reverse that. And if you like, if you're interested in getting love from something that isn't so easy, that's actually the exact reason why I love cats so much, mm-hmm. is because it's like, wow, this feels special. You know, this feels special when like either Cyrano or Nateri, one of my two cats, like comes up and nestles between me, and I'm like my energy must be real good today. I could see that. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I could see
1: that. And I think I think that probably is something to what you're saying for sure. I think a lot of people don't want to put in the work to be liked by a cat. Yeah. Whereas a dog, if you feed it and you're fairly affectionate, the dog's going to love you, which also has its upsides. Um, but it's kind of what we talked about before this. People don't want to put in work these days to have a reward. A lot of people want things that just come easy to them. And you actually right. have to work to
0: develop a bond with a cat. I remember my, you know, my ex-partner had an Alaskan Klee Kai named Loby, and it was pretty special. Every morning I would wake up and it would, Loby would always wait for me to wake up. So I would actually be awake, wouldn't wake me up and then would just start relentlessly licking my neck. Yeah. And it was like just a little love bomb every single morning and the consistency of that was actually like really cool too. So I wish I, my, see, I I wish my dog sides. would wait.
1: My dog won't wait until I'm awake. Like if I don't shut <laughs> that the bedroom would, would be if I don't shut ruthless. the bedroom door and he's a great dame too. If I don't shut the bedroom door, he'll come in and he'll start nestling me with his nose. And he's a big <laughs> dog. He can push me out of the bed. He'll he, he'll just push me until I get up. Um so we have to remember to always shut the door and then he'll start kind of pawing at the door when he uh-huh. wants to go out. But
0: um I think that's why you gotta have both. I think that's why you need a dog and a cat in your life. I'm a, I'm I think a it's the balance both, for yeah. sure. Uh, so yeah, recently buried, uh, helped to bury my sister's boxer and I wasn't particularly close, but Mm. with that, with that animal, but you know, through my sister, of course I wanted to be there. And one of the things that I've realized is that there's a lot missing from rituals around death and like how to actually deal with it. Rituals around birth, rituals Mm -hmm. around marriage. I think everything needs a good, healthy revision, but around death, it's something that I've seen that's like, I think we're really missing a lot. And I so I tried to like offer that in that experience, but I haven't had a chance to read because I just opened up your book to check out that spot. Like, what are your what are your ideas and what are your thoughts on uh, on death of a pet? And then I'll I'll add my so own to it as well.
1: That book, the way it's written, is the premise of we're all going to have these things happen in our life, and no matter how emotionally equipped or prepared we think we are, there's things that are going to derail us. Um, it can be something as simple as you know losing your keys. That'll drive me nuts. I can be in a good mood. I can lose my keys. And and 10 (laughs) minutes later, I'm in a horrible fucking mood. Uh And if I don't quickly get myself out of that, I can derail my day. Mm. And so that was the premise of the book. What's the
0: self-talk that happens when you lose your keys?
1: What do you start saying to yourself? I think I'm a fucking idiot. (laughs) I start questioning myself, say, where did you put it? Why can't you remember this? Why Mm. are you... You know, why are you this stupid kind of thing? And that's Mm -hmm. a lot of the negative self-talk that, you know, too many of us have, unfortunately. And so it's that kind of self-talk that'll drive me crazy when it comes to something as small as that. And then when it came to something as large as the death of a pet, um, what I wanted to do in that book is lend my perspective from it. Mm -hmm. And when my dog died, which the dog that inspired that actually was a boxer too, um, it was the first animal that I'd really bonded with. I never had that connection. I grew up on a, you know, I grew up on a farm. We had like chickens and stuff like that, but you don't bond with them the way you do a dog. No. And when he died, I remember my mom saying to me, this is a chance to thank him. Like yeah. thank him for what he was in your life. And that really changed the way I looked at it. And I started interpreting that. And later I had a friend who had a dog die as well. And she was kind of telling me the same stuff I remember feeling. And I told her, I said, "You, what you got to keep in mind is, Who you were with that dog, what that dog taught you, that dog allowed you to be a version of yourself you likely aren't with people because you know that dog's not going to judge you. And that's why people will baby talk their animals and they act totally different around their pets because they feel comfortable with them. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, it's a time to thank your dog for allowing that side of you to come out. And then as you move forward, just try and keep that mindset of being that with people you know being who you were with your dog with people you may not you do mm-hmm. have the baby talk or any stuff like that but that version of yourself that wasn't afraid to be judged or wasn't afraid to show affection and that is what i think pets do for us and that's why i think it's important that people are raised with pets i mean my son right now we have two cats and a dog and watching him interact with the pets is probably my most rewarding um part of being a dad yeah. I like seeing that bond they have at such a young age. Like my dog's a big dog and he knows my son's a baby. He knows to be gentle with him. The way the way he roughhouses with the cats and the way he roughhouses with my son are completely different. Mm-hmm. He knows my son can't roughhouse the way the cats can. He can't push them off the couch and you know, he'll push the cats off the couch. He can't do that with my baby, but mm-hmm. seeing a dog do that it just opens up your eyes to the fact that Animals, I think, are more intelligent than we give them credit for. For sure.
0: And it's cancerous. Intelligent in a different way. You know, yeah. like we, we quantify our intelligence in certain particular ways of speech patterns and intellectual capacity. Mm-hmm. But the ability to read energy, you know, most of us are absolute idiots yeah. when it comes to that. Whereas animals are fucking experts. And
1: I had someone tell me that. that about cats. They say, have you seen the reason why a cat will be chilling and suddenly just take off? it's because they can feel the energy in a room unlike anything else can. And yeah. so the reason cats are so spastic, which is what turns people off to them, is they're reading stuff in the room that we can't. Yeah. And had you told me that prior to 2019, I would have told you you were a fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, but now, as we talked about, once I opened myself up to this more energetic, connective way of living, I can
0: completely understand why cats would be like that. Yeah. It's one thing I, I notice about the way that people can interact with pets is there's so much judgment that prevents us from any type of approximation of unconditional love with Mm -hmm. each other especially an adult you know like they're we feel that they're culpable and responsible for every decision they make every flaw they have and to some degree yes we do have choice and we do have agency and but there's so much judgment that comes as somebody gets older and we see that with kids as well like the way that it's actually, it's an a, it's an abomination when you see parents, like, overly, you know, castigating and punishing, like, a three-year-old mm-hmm. or a four-year-old. Like, what the fuck are you doing? That's a child. Yeah. You know, and so, like, the more sentient of us realize that. But at a certain point, our boy's, like, 10, and they do something. And then it's like, how dare you? How can yeah, you fucking you, do this? You have so much judgment. And you tell them you should know better by now. or it's, you know, Exactly. You're, you're exactly. a big
1: boy now. And you use that kind of terminology that yeah. I think just create shame in their
0: life of course and with pets you know you can still have some of that but even with you see it even with like the difference between a puppy and a dog like Mm. if the dog's been trained and they do something then you can get real mad at them yeah but the beauty of it is that ultimately if you remember they're a dog it always allows you to actually love them a lot more unconditionally like ah fuck you're just a dog and if we could actually learn that with humans too like ah fuck you're just a human you know Absolutely. what i mean it would like soften some of this sharp some of the sharp edges of our judgment and i think uh i had a buddy of mine who was very
1: successful in life and he ended up moving um to montana to kind of go off the grid for a bit and he fell into like a lot of deep depression and he got stuck in kind of his old ways like i would i would say like an old man would but he was still you know young and in his 30s and one of the things i told him i said you need to get a dog like yeah. you need a dog up there because for one you need the companionship but two you need something that'll fuck your days up you need you need <laughs> yeah. you need something that'll show you you can't control everything um i tell the story before i mean my great dane one night ate a bunch of avocados out of the avocado tree in the backyard and in the Skin middle of, and all yeah everything he's gonna shit himself in the middle of the night in the guest room a 160 pound dog has violent diarrhea <laughs> and i woke up the next morning and i walked in and i was like what The fuck just happened in here? It looked like someone had tried to paint the room. (laughs) And I felt bad for him. I wasn't mad. I was like, damn, like, how did I not pay attention to that for you? And he was covered in himself. And that completely derailed my day. Of course. I had to go rent a carpet shampooer and it spent me all day. (laughs) And then I had to rent another one like a second or third time. And I'm honestly glad it happened because every day that I wake up, my dog hasn't done that. It's easy. It's an easy day now. Like when you have things like that, they kind of recalibrate what you consider an easy day or a hard day. Mm. And so I told my buddy, I was like, you need a pet. Like you need something that will, you know, chew on your phone cord. You need something that's going to knock something over when you think you put it perfectly there because, and I believe a lot of causes of depression, um, particularly with people, you know, that kind of isolate themselves like that, is they try to control everything. And when you do that, you feel like the world doesn't
0: understand you mm-hmm. or you feel like, uh, well, it's I think one of the signatures of depression is hopelessness. And mm-hmm. if you're trying to de- control everything, that's a fucking hopeless cause. Exactly. You were in the the epitome of hopelessness at that point because you got no fucking chance. Mm-hmm. The world is gonna. The world is gonna do what the world is gonna do. And so there's just so much benefit to having pets for just various yeah. reasons. I think. Yeah, I agree. So to just close the loop on the on the burying a pet for me, I think gratitude is absolutely right. So I had my sister and my niece and my nephew and my other sister, and my mom and my stepdad, and we're burying it out on a ranch. And you know, so I brought some tobacco and and. You know traditional hmm. Amazonian culture and a lot of other cultures tobacco is called a chakaruna it's a bridge so we had some tobacco leaf in our hand and we sprinkled it over the, over Kiro the dog and as they did it I had everybody talk about their favorite memory of of Kiro in an act of gratitude and it was really emotional just to hear everybody express like what they loved and an experience that they really loved about it and it was a celebration of the relationships that were formed. And even me, who didn't have a strong relationship, like I remember at the the dog's, the end of his days, he he had dementia and he couldn't control his bowels and it was his time. It was an Mm. old boxer, 14 years old. But his fight to love life and to go, like if we were going walking, even though his hips didn't work right, he would be like clawing and he'd get himself up and he'd have bright eyes and just if we could all love life just a fraction of how much that that dog showed us that he loved life and how excited he was just for the simplicity of going on a walk, Mm -hmm. like if we could learn that, like that lesson, you know, that lesson we could carry with us forever. So in that gratitude, it was able to really help kind of close the loop of like a deep appreciation. And I think that's an element of grief that we kind of overlook like we think grief is just about being sad and i think part of the funeral rites of anything should be an absolute fucking celebration Mm -hmm. and yes cry the tears and wail the sing the songs and 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 wail into the night do whatever else you want to do but also celebrate like celebrate the life that was i think what's a cool thing about your story too is if you were to
1: eavesdrop on that and didn't know it was a dog people were talking about i'm sure a lot of the the bonds that were formed you would think it was an individual person totally um and that just goes to show you that when, like you're saying, when, you, when you're open to connecting with a, an animal, it's very possible to have a relationship that can, you know, be just as close
0: as a human to human one. Yeah. You've referenced uh, a period of depression that you had in 2019. Let's go into the dark days. Let's, let's go do into it. Those, let's I'm, I'm more than those happy moment. to talk
1: about it. It's something I've actually, you know, told myself I would talk about often. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know or people listening and don't know who I am, uh, I had this persona online for a long time as the captain and it started as something that I created to separate my personal life from my professional life. Uh, at the time I was working in advertising, I had a lot of clientele I didn't want to lose for, you know, fear of saying something or tweeting something or writing something they would find off color. Um, because a lot of what I write is very, you know, on the nose and I, I un- unapologetic in my, my opinions. And in having that character for so long and maintaining that character and starting to become known as that character. Um, you know, for example, when you go out and people start referring to you as the captain, like if someone recognizes you Mm -hmm. at a coffee shop, they don't call you Kyle, you know, they call me the captain. And I thought it was cool at first. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like people are recognizing me. Um,
0: and and (laughs) then after a
1: while you start to feel really almost sickened by it. Sure. And You start to question who you are as a person more and more like what is happening to this kyle part of my life more people aside from my friends more people knew me as that you know than than kyle and when i came to terms with it and realized for the past couple years i'd been feeding you know essentially this beast um it left me just completely lost and i told you before this like i'd used the captain i mean For the most part, everything I wrote under that moniker very much is me. But it was a veil to protect me because if someone disagreed with something I said or if I said something vulnerable, it was like, oh, it's not me. It was the captain saying that. So it was very easy for me to separate that. Mm -hmm. And so then when it came time that I got in a a very serious relationship with my girlfriend now, we actually ended up getting back together after this, this depressive episode. But when I had to actually be there for a partner, and show up as Kyle, I, I found it very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I questioned a lot of what I did. I had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And some of that was you know, possibly from my, my Mormon upbringing. And I just felt so lost. I never felt so lost and so purposeless. Mm-hmm. And I was in LA and I was kind of grasping for TV opportunities. I wanted to write in TV. Um, and I remember a producer said to me one time, they were wanting me to host a show and he was calling me, about it and i told him that oh you know we're gonna go to cocktails can my girlfriend come and he said to me verbatim he said that kind of sucks to know that the captain has a girlfriend that's not on brand for you Mm. and i was like oh man this is this is not good like now you know my personal desires are interfering with my professional life and it just, it just spiraled me out of control and I couldn't yeah, do it anymore. it's almost like you,
0: you think that in creating this avatar, it's a path to get you what you want. No. And then the universe is like, sure, if this is what you want, go for it. And then you realize like, fuck, it's not what it I It made want life so
1: much harder than it needed to be. Right. And it's something that um, I don't think I'll author another book under that name. Um, the only reason my last book was still under that name is because I have a publishing agreement with that name because there is some weight to it. Sure. And... I I don't, I don't really want to be seen as that character anymore. And it's been very freeing, especially with, with becoming a dad with realizing, you know, I don't want my kid to call me the captain. I want to be called dad. You know, I don't want to be this character with my son and it's helped me a lot in embracing Kyle and just in wanting to raise my son without the fear, without the shame, without the guilt that I had, I've gone back to my own childhood and it's, I've almost like, you know, in raising my son, I feel it kind of like I'm reparenting myself in a way, because I'm going back to those time periods in my life and thinking, what did I do that caused me to start to think like this? You know, when did I first develop this, you know, this insecurity in my life, or when did I first start to worry about this? And in going back and doing that, I feel like I've just discovered so much about myself that I'd lost.
0: Yeah. One of, the one of the ayahuasca facilitators who, uh, sits with us when we go down and work with Drago and his name's Valco, And he, uh, someone was commenting on a really challenging relationship that they had with their father and how that made their childhood very difficult and, uh, and how this was, the ayahuasca was helping to repattern that. And he said, it's never too late to have a great childhood. I love that. And I was like, damn, that hits that hits deep because as you're saying, we have the ability to reparent ourselves, mm-hmm. to re-understand mother and father take that onus off of the two individuals flawed humans as they Mm -hmm. are however dope our parents were they're flawed humans and say all right i understand mother and i understand father and i can use those energies to reparent myself now and i can step back into that childlike state of wonder and learning and growth and redo this whole thing and repattern my programming like i think that's one of the flaws of psychology is they're always trying to anchor you back to the childhood as if that childhood is fixed and that's going to dictate things in the future. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. But what if you just redo it? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like what if you reimagine this and re pattern? And it takes a while to repattern things in the brain, but absolutely you can. That's what neuroplasticity is for, is the ability to actually re pattern a new story. And I think, you know, it sounds like that's a, a lot of what you're doing. I like what you said about, you know, seeing your parents for who they are because that's one of the things I struggled with.
1: Um, up until a couple of years ago, when people would talk about their childhood, I'd always joke and say, oh, my parents would never do that to me. They loved me. You know, they wouldn't do that to me. And I had a hard time separating my parents from the parts of my childhood that I think did affect me. And that was the religious aspect of my, mm-hmm. my child, you know, childhood days, um, And it wasn't until i came to understand that my parents were just doing the best they knew like my parents are still very active lds they're still more and we have a fantastic relationship and lds is
0: latter-day saints for those who don't know
1: and we have a fantastic relationship and i don't hold anything against them as far as the way i was raised they thought they were doing what was right for us but once i was able to just view my parents as people I was able to go back and be like, wow, this is why I'm so closed off or why it was so hard for me to open up because growing up, I wanted to talk to my dad, man to man, you know, in my teenage years when everyone's confused and I wanted some advice. The, the advice was typically, you know, pray about it, read the scriptures. And I didn't want to hear that. I needed to hear like a human response. I didn't need to hear this religious response. Yeah. And it closed me off and it made me feel so
0: misunderstood um, interesting corollary between that and you being the captain and being misunderstood mm-hmm. it's almost like kyle was always seeking to be seen absolutely and to be loved for who you were as the flesh and blood and spirit animal that you are
1: i was just gonna say i think that's why i developed the captain later in life and grab gravitated towards it so hard is because i'd almost taught myself to do that through my teenage years yeah um i felt misunderstood so i just you know, I, I didn't talk about things i didn't and the captain was my ability to start to talk about things, but test the waters first to see like, how am I, how am I received when I talk about something, um, vulnerable or how am I received when I talk about something? Um, I typically wouldn't want people to know about myself, you know, and it allowed me to test the waters, but it still kept that, that barrier up. Mm -hmm. And so I absolutely think that my childhood and the way I was raised, affected, you know, 15, 20 years down the line, the way I ran my career and basically my relationships at the time with my friends were still very guarded too and my friends now the the ones i have that have been good friends with me since high school will tell me oh my god you were such a better person now like you were yeah. fun to hang out with we liked going to party with you and stuff in your 20s but you were just you were just a fucking you're you're a wall you were not an easy person to be around sometimes right,
0: right. yeah the uh the creation of an avatar is something that we don't actually need another moniker to do i mm-hmm. think so many of us are trapped in a prison of our own identity complex yeah and you could could be going by your name but you've put on a persona that people expect i remember when i was partying hard in my late 20s and you know even into my early 30s a bit but particularly my late 20s that's when i was probably the most unhappy because i hadn't started on it yet You know, I was still, I had this marketing company, you know, I was helping my stepdad's company, Fleshlight, sell Fleshlights. Mm -hmm. And I fucking, I was like, this is the most pointless thing in the world that I could possibly do. And I was working for investment banking, you know, little projects about pharmaceuticals that I didn't really care about, or a gold mining project, or a natural gas project, or fucking some kind of beauty nutraceutical type situation i was like i don't even know if this even works but i'm have a marketing company so i'm gonna do it and i had no sense of real purpose Mm -hmm. so i was just fucking partying and i had fun i had a great time i was with my partner at the time caitlin and we were good at partying you know we could throw a good party we had a lot of like that energy where we would stand on top of a table and like cultivate this cyclone of energy that would make everything more fun you know when somebody's really getting it and putting out that energy it's contagious and then the, when you hear people say stuff like "Oh, you throw the best parties," oh, oh, that was the, that f- was it.
1: It that's the, that's exactly and what you want. Then it, you're, it reassures, and you are like, "All right, I am going to keep doing this."
0: Yeah, and then so I would go out to a, go out to the club one day, and I just wouldn't have that kind of energy, but I'd be enjoying myself. Would just be more chill. They'd be like, "What's wrong with you, man? Are you all right? Like, what's going?" on? I was like, "I am fucking fine." You stand on the table. <laughs> I am not going to do it today. You know, like, and it, but it was this persona that I had that I was going to be. The dude with sunglasses on the inside or whatever the fuck it was and be like fucking raging yeah and when i wouldn't people would be like what's up man what's going on and so i was trapped mm-hmm. even in my own name even in just by the persona that i'd created and that wasn't fun
1: at all that's exactly know? how i felt i think the most unhappy i ever was when i was living in new york city in a luxury tower making a good salary working in advertising and i traveled all the time for work and all i did was i mean primarily my clientele base was bars and hotels and so my job just revolved around going out and i i remember one time being in a club and i overheard someone say i like hanging out with kyle because he pays for everything (laughs) and it just hit me in the gut yeah and I remember starting to tear up in the club and I was like, is this what my life has become? Like if I become these guys that I used to make fun of when I was first going out and sure. you can see the guy that everyone's just kind of taking advantage of, like, am I this person now? And I just walked out on the check. I didn't pay it. I walked out <laughs> yeah. and I left and everyone was calling me, didn't answer my phone. I just went home and laid in bed and just kind of broke down and thought, wow, this, this life is so empty. Yeah. Um, and it was the same thing you're saying when you, I, if I didn't want to go out yeah. on like a Thursday, like, why aren't you, what's going on? Like, why, why don't you want to come out? Or, you know, especially the time I was, I was really big into cocaine. And if I wasn't either getting it or I wasn't using it, everyone was like, why don't, you don't want to party tonight? Like, why, why don't you have cocaine with you? And it just became, it was just such an empty existence it's and prison. it was so, Hard to feel like I could be myself in any scenario. Like, mm-hmm. and I felt like I always had to be on. And, like you said, it was fun, but I would never want to
0: go through that again. Yeah. There's nothing in you could do that would make me want to live that lifestyle again. Mm-hmm. The people think, you know, people will say, like, oh, Aubrey, you know, it's so admirable how vulnerable you are. You know, it's something that I'm known for because I'll just after that i decided all right this is not the way i'm just going to talk about everything when i had a podcast whether it was going on rogan's or my own podcast or my own post or whatever i would just really try to let people open the shutters into my inner life people are like wow it's so courageous i'm like kinda but not really because when people actually see you then you have the chance to actually be loved and then you have the chance to actually be free mm. so it's actually a self-preservation model well, and it helps to, you to, as much as it's helping them absolutely absolutely so you're doing something that's of service to everybody around you and giving them the permission to be vulnerable and it kind of breaks down the the trap that you've laid for yourself mm. where people can actually see you in your totality and it's actually a, a very liberating thing and yeah i get i get it that it might be scary at first when you start down that path but once you start getting the feedback from it internally and externally you realize like Oh no, this is the only way, mm-hmm. like this is the only way to exist. And yeah, sure. I mean, when you were in, I don't know, middle school or something, vulnerability was dangerous, you know, because there's so many bullies who are afraid of this and the, the dynamics of, you know, potentially being bullied well, or made fun of, but it changes. And you hear this masculinity
1: movement where I heard someone say the other day, um, don't call it vulnerability call it humility because vulnerability means you could be attacked and i was like what a pathetic way to look at it <laughs> right. and it was for one of these like you know alpha male kind of individuals who is all about trying to promote like this modern alpha male uh persona and what you're saying about it being liberating is after i had this moment in 2019 you know, I came back to using social media again, and I put my real name on social media. Up until that point, no one really knew who I was. I didn't have like a personal Facebook or anything, you know, early in life. Social media never really appealed to me. So people literally couldn't find out who I was. And so I came back with my name on there. I had people just writing me that were blown away that I did that. And then when I came back, I admitted that I had been in a dark place where I started, you know, romanticizing suicide. And... I think it's common for people to start to romanticize it, but then I started to actually really think about how, when, and where kind of stuff. And that's when I knew I was getting pretty dark. And I came back and I wrote a long caption about it on Instagram. And I had so many thousands of messages from people saying, because you admitted that, my husband decided to go to therapy. You know, I don't feel so alone. Like, I. I thought I was never going to get past this, but seeing that you live in the lifestyle that I thought I wanted to live are willing to talk about that. Now I'm willing to explore um, healing myself. And I had you know, an individual write me that was a Navy SEAL, and he and six of his buddies that were all you know, veterans got together and started their own therapy group, reading circles and stuff like that. And I saw the ripple effect that I had, and it's kind of what we talked about before this podcast, where I do feel like I'm called to do more at this point in my life with the platform I've built. I just don't know what it is yet. And I have people say similar things to me, like, how are you so vulnerable? How do you talk about this? And I tell them, well, when you've admitted to half a million people you wanna kill yourself, like nothing could really hurt you after that. Like there's very few things I can get out that are more embarrassing than that because (laughs) a lot of people feel it's embarrassing to admit they were that dark. Um, But after so many people know that about me, it's like, you don't have much more dirt on me that's gonna make me feel feel worse than I did at that time. Mm Um, so it's very easy for me to talk about topics that um, other people wouldn't. Like before I do a podcast, the host you know says, is, is anything off limits? Um, no. And it'd be very hypocritical of me to say there was something off limits. Because right. as a writer,
0: I don't think you can be a good writer with a guard. There was some, I think it was, I don't know if it was Stephen King or some great writer who said that for every person that you were worried about reading your writing, you can take 10% off the greatness of your book. I think it's Stephen King. I actually think it's in his memoir on writing. Yeah. Where he talks about that. He talks about what's helped him write. I'm pretty sure that's where that's from. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is too. And, And that's... That's really, really accurate with any part of your art. You know, when your art is constricted by, oh, what if my mom reads this? Or what if my dad reads this? Or what if the world sees the truth about me? You're never going to be able to actually produce Mm -hmm. art that's worth a shit. Well, it's one of the things I talk about a lot too is I hate artists and writers
1: and creators calling their work content. Um, It's a dirty word to me. And I think it kind of diminishes your own creativity and your own power. Um, It's really disheartening for me to say, when you hear someone say, "Oh, I just wrote this great piece of content," it's
0: right? Like, it's not fucking content. Like content then, it's about, it, then it's about the 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 function of it, not yeah. about like, how's it going to
1: feed the algorithm. Yeah, how's totally. it going to get like content? The the name alone is meant to be something that gets seen and shared and viral, and that's that's not a way to create art. And admittedly, in the past, I did that. You know, often when I was first kind of building my online presence particularly because I was working in advertising at the time, you know, in early like 2014, 15, when I was kind of figuring out how these social channels worked, um, I was a writer. I mean, I I wrote for commercials for TV. And so, I knew how to write stuff that got interaction. I knew how to write stuff that got people to share it. And I utilized a lot of it to grow my, my following the way I did. And then it got to a point where it just felt so dirty because the whole reason I wanted to have a presence online was so I could write stuff I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. stuff i couldn't write on tv stuff i couldn't write for a client and so once i realized i was doing that i was like this is just making this side work too now now it's now i'm just writing work on both ends and it just it's not motivating to create with that mindset and there's still far too many people out there that have that especially when you see you know these younger individuals trying to uh to find ways to be relevant with their art or their content as they would say um you can just see how empty it is. Like people can see right through that shit. People can see when vulnerability is actually just oversharing or yeah. when it's actually it's vulnerability. A, it's a
0: strategy. People can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I don't know if you've ever found this, but you know, one of the other traps too, is if you get into those, those comparisons of other people who are doing something and you're like, Dude, I can fucking see through that, but look at those millions of followers and look at them in the top, Mm -hmm. you know, top 50 of the iTunes podcasts and, and like, you just kind of see something that isn't quite, and it'll work. And I think that's the, that's the trap that you, it'll quote work Mm -hmm. in, in some way, but it just depends on the metrics that you look at. And then you could say like, well, fuck, you know, like they're doing it better than me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's just a trap feeling well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think the worst is when you can see someone and you're intelligent enough to see them as a fraud (laughs) and other people can't yet. Yeah. And you're just like, fuck, man, how can no one see this? Like, this is so fake. And you, you know, from your experience that it is, and it's frustrating to watch. And too many people are going to fall into trying to be just like that person, which just perpetuates that cycle of, you know, fake creation on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know where I was going to go with that. I got lost, but well, let's go. I just, I just started thinking too much about people that I I think are frauds <laughs> online. I yeah, got distracted. No, I, it, it's it's
0: a, it's a it's a definitely a trap, and you can yeah, get yeah, stuck yeah, in that yeah. cycle. And then you can get bitter, and then you can get you can resentful. get caught in that cycle. And then you can also you know one of the challenges it can actually start to affect how much you love the world mm-hmm. because you can hold this resentment like. World, you're so stupid. Like you're gonna recognize you're this. Gonna, you're gonna you're gonna appreciate this. Well, fuck you then, world. Mm. And it's this somewhat self-righteous, entitled, and also judgmental attitude that will actually also sap your ability to create and your ability to produce art and actually sing your own true name song and your own and really offer your medicine in a way, because you'll start to get this bitterness in you. And that bitterness is something that I think we also have to be really mindful of because it's only going to, you know, be a hindrance to our ability to actually do what we're here to do.
1: Well, when you talk about that bitterness, you know, when you look at the last two years, um, a lot of people, and my girlfriend says this very well, when you operate with the, the idea of being against something, um, you don't create at the level you would if you're for something. And so she always mm-hmm. tries to say, be for something, be for something. Um, and she can tell when I start to slip into those kind of bitterness realms and you know cynicism. And there's a lot of people who falsely believe cynicism is a sign of intellect. And so I'll fall into that trap every so often. And she'll be like, no, you got to be for something. Like stop yeah. being against something. And I think a lot of people have found their identity in being against something in yeah. um, the past two years. And you can see it, like they just can't let things go they will harp on the exact same subject or topic for two and a half fucking years. And because it's continuing to get them relevancy, and I just don't understand how you can
0: do that and consider
1: yourself any kind of artist or writer or creator.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I think there are... Some people believe that just highlighting the darkness over and over and over again and pointing to the darkness is the way that you actually heal the darkness. And there's a good place for it. I mean, the darkness... Bringing light to the darkness is one path, but also what's dark is as in in the shadow, as in not revealed is the light that's within all humanity. The, the light that's within every bit of darkness, that's the sparks of love and the sparks of humanity that are within everybody. And Mm -hmm. so I think you can choose which way you want to go. And I actually had this conversation recently where I passed on participating in, you know, a content producer, art producer, content producer. I don't know exactly. I'm not going to make that kind of judgment call, but I was like, man, like, it's not that I disagree with what you're saying. I actually agree with most of what you're saying, but your platform and your Dharma is right now to be continually pointing at the darkness. And there's, it's an all you can eat buffet. If you want to do that, Mm -hmm. it's fucking everywhere. But I would much prefer to find the commonality of light and beauty that's within everybody and then bring harmony through the recognition of the light that's within all of us, even those who we judge as the darkest. And I think that's the way to actually heal rather than create additional divisiveness. I think that's something you do very well with your platform just from listening to it.
1: Um, but a good analogy would be you know, just calling attention to something is like apologizing, but not actually changing what, you know, cause the problem in the first place. You can apologize right. all you want, but unless you actually change that behavior, that character trait, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. And that's the same as what you're saying. Just shining light on the dark all the time. Okay. What's the solution? Like, how do you illuminate that? Like, how do you get rid of that darkness? And without, you know, being for something, um, you won't find that.
0: Yeah. When, uh, I want to touch back on something you said from that, you know, the alpha male perspective. <laughs> like if you're vulnerable, if you say you're vulnerable, that means you're going to get attacked. Like the question that I would want to ask is like, okay, then what? You know what I mean? It's like, they don't fall like, okay, then what? Yeah. So what? So you're attacked. Like that's where you actually decide whether you're vulnerable or not, because you're not going to avoid being able, being attacked. Nothing you fucking do is going to prevent that. It's like, and now what? And now what? Now what happens? How do you respond when you actually are attacked? Like, what are you really made of when shit gets gnarly? You know, and when that happens, are you vulnerable then? Are you going to be brittle? Are you going to break? Are you going to resort to rage and and the kind of violence of mind? Or are you going to be able to assimilate that and withstand that and bear it? And that's, to me true strength that's true masculinity it's the ability to hold like a fucking mountain and say wind and tempest and lightning do your worst Mm -hmm. and whether the fucking fire comes and sweeps across all the brush that's all right i'm the fucking mountain i'm the rocks that are underneath that that have been there for eons and i'm gonna be here for eons and i'm actually not vulnerable because i'm willing to withstand the attack and i think that's just a whole way to reframe this kind of very brittle understanding of masculinity which is like it's it's funny it's like it's almost another type of facade and i think someone who'd say they're afraid of being attacked knows they can't
1: weather that storm yeah totally you you you're essentially admitting that you can't weather it yeah when you say that's your fear um you know it's you know if you're a fighter for example and you're afraid of getting punched you're never going to be a good fighter (laughs) totally Totally. So I think that's almost, you know, in a way trying to be an alpha male, you're admitting
0: that you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can think of, I'm a big fight fan and I remember watching, you know, a lot of fights back in the day, but, and all love and credit to anybody who steps in the cage. I mean, the amount of courage that it requires to actually go and do that, but you could see the people who really didn't like to get punched, mm-hmm. you know, and, I don't know, I feel bad even naming names, but there's some big heavyweight fighters like, oh damn, this guy is the fucking manliest man of all. But then you watch them get hit and you see them wince in the way of like, oh my God, what just happened to me? And this is all the way back to the pride days, you know, the biggest, the biggest fighters that you could possibly imagine, fucking muscle bound, steroided to the hilt. And then you watch them get hit and they're like, (gasps) oh my God, what just happened? And I would think, you know, I'm not as big a fight fan
1: as you are. I've watched a fair share of it, but I would imagine that in being afraid to get hit, it causes you to make mistakes that actually make you more susceptible to losing in general. Absolutely. And so, you know, and spin that kind of back into what we're talking about. If you're going through life afraid to get hit or attacked, it's going to cause you to do things that are going to hinder you even more in
0: life. Mm -hmm. I remember one fight on the positive side of this and It was when Conor McGregor was making his run, and I went to all of his fights and sat down there on the- That was a fun time. I
1: I was active in watching fights during that time because I appreciated the uh, persona he created around himself. I thought it it was entertaining. It was magnificent. And
0: it made you give a shit. Yeah, it was magnificent. And I think he's fallen off the rails in a lot of ways, especially after that last fight with Dustin Poirier. I was like, come on, man. This isn't funny anymore. Like, you've crossed the line when he's talking about Dustin's wife. I was like, this is terrible. All that being, he, used, he needed to get some new riders for his show. Yeah, for sure. It's like a late night
1: host, yeah, he, his stick
0: sure. was up, and he needed to
1: actually admit it and hire some writers to help him. <laughs> totally,
0: totally. But when he was in the red panty night kind of kind of moment of yeah. his career, but I remember seeing something really fucking incredibly admirable about that. He had a he had a knee injury, and he was fighting Chad Mendez. and he so he wasn't so mobile. But his his mind was still fucking impenetrable at that mm-hmm. point. And I remember Chad had taken him down. Chad was an amazing wrestler and, you know, grabbed him, threw him down, was taking him down. And I was watching him. He was pressed up against the cage close to and where he I was. At this yeah, I had a knee he had a knee injury in that fight. And Chad was just bouncing elbows off of his off of his face. And I could hear Connor. I could hear him go like I'm going to stand up and I'm going to, and he was just talking (laughs) shit the whole time. His elbows are just raining down, blood's dripping down. He's like, just fucking wait. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to knock you out. And obviously he said that in his own Connor way. I'm paraphrasing, but I could just, I watched him, you know, blocking what he could, but just looking at him and just telling him exactly what's going to happen. And then sure enough, towards the end of the round, he stands up, moves forward, and then hits him with that strong left hand and drops him and knocks him out. And it was like, I was like, "Holy shit, Like that's the way to fucking do it.'s just to take weather that entire storm and just be looking through the storm and be like, "I got you, motherfucker." Yeah." And Chad's like bouncing elbows off his head in a totally dominant position, but his will and his like his it was so penetrating what he was doing from a psychological standpoint that he manifested that reality. I've always, when it comes to athletes, I've never been an
1: underdog fan. I've always appreciated the individuals who are very outspoken and can mm-hmm. back it up. Um, I like watching them lose just as much, but someone who can talk shit like that and have that little of confidence and back it up, I think, is more enjoyable to watch than the underdog. Of course. I, I just love it. I respect it. I respect the yeah. the uh, I respect the the courage it takes, and if a lot of it's an act or not, I still respect it.
0: It's just it's it's some. It's a belief that very few people will ever have in themselves. Yeah. That's the intoxicating thing. And you can just look at it based on the pay-per-view buys and numbers. Mm-hmm. When somebody cultivates that air, then it's like it's intoxicating. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't matter whether it was Connor or you know, Adesanya or whoever it is, when they bring that kind of energy, it's like, Holy shit, let's yeah. go. You know, let's watch this thing. Or, you know, Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, I think he's also one of the most like exciting people to watch because he just cultivates this air of fucking confidence and then he wins the wins the bout and he fucking sings a song as his post post fight interview to the whole crowd and he's not a good singer but it's just there's a certain energy that we can tap into that uh that i think we all want we all want to feel that it's Uh a sense of like radical aliveness in the moment and sheer like unwavering confidence and when we see that and the brashness and i think another part of humility like you mentioned humility another part of humility is being humble enough to express how you're great you are you know what i mean like mm. that's something that i think a lot of people are shy about. i think humility is expressing the truth and if you think you're the baddest motherfucker and you're like you know i just like to get in there and work hard and you know it's all about it's like no we want them to hear what they really believe which is like Oh yeah, I'm the fucking baddest. This is something that a, a friend
1: of mine, Andy Frisella talks about often is uh, sharing your wins because mm-hmm. um, society nowadays has almost made it seem as though it's just overly cocky or it's uh, out of touch to share your wins when you have been successful. And he's, he's a big proponent of telling people like, no, like if you've done well, you owe it to the generation below you to talk about it and believe in yourself enough to talk yeah. about it because that's how they find inspiration. Like it helps other people when you're willing to be like that. When you're afraid to talk about your greatness or you're afraid to accept what you've done that's hard, it just shows people that's not possible
0: themselves. It's another fear of it's another fear of vulnerability, you know, and I think... Would well, you ha- be attacked for that? Of for course, sure. you know, and yeah, I've ha- I have I went to school for a semester in University of Queensland in Australia, Mm. and then I dated an Aussie for a while and had a lot of Aussie friends. And they actually have a a phrase that they call tall poppy syndrome, which is they have in their culture this belief that the tallest poppy is the one that gets cut down. So if there's a flower that rises Mm -hmm. above the rest, that's when everybody's coming with the garden shears you know, to well, cut it out. It's not it a down. wrong belief to have. It's not I mean, a it's wrong, it's a truth it's, that it's happens. Actually, it does happen, but then it prevents people from actually, first of all, stepping out and being brave enough to be the tall poppy. Yeah. And then also if they are the tall poppy, just naturally by who they are, they're always diminish self-diminishing themselves, which is another seductive, dishonest strategy to not get attacked. You know, it's like... Well, it's like you said, there's a,
1: there's an era of uh, being holier than thou when you when you feel like you're being humble yep, and you see a lot of people do that online too where they're afraid to they want everything they they want to have that underdog story so bad or they want to tell the story of how they struggled or they don't want to admit you know any lucky breaks because they're afraid it diminishes you know what they've done Mm -hmm. and like you said it's just another way of suppressing yourself and self-suppression is a recipe for depression. Well said. It well just set. it just is. I think, you know, I talked about this recently on on my social media faking who we are, whether we fake how we feel or we fake what we believe, and you've seen a lot of people do this the past 2 years where they fake what they believe because they don't want to be attacked by the the mob or they fake, you know, their persona. You you're just you're asking for a down. It's going to happen. There's going to be a moment where you're going to have to come to terms with yourself and it's not going to be comfortable yeah it's going to be
0: hard as hell i remember you know during the during the kind of the height of the pandemic i was just holding back a Mm. lot of my beliefs like what i really felt and it felt like i was suffocating actually you know and this was when i mean people were being crazy Yep. I mean, it's crazy th- to think right now. Like right now, COVID still exists all over the place. And people are getting it, getting it, and just mm-hmm. fucking shrugging it off. It's like people are just dealing with it. But then it was like such a fucking big deal, you know. And, and well, it, this, the cognitive dissonance of the difference between now and then is is kind of like outrageous to look at. It's almost. When you think back on how it was two years ago, it feels like a dream.
1: Like it doesn't, (laughs) it's, I remember, you know, seeing images of them digging mass graves in Central Park. And I remember like all this weird stuff going around. I I talked to my friend. I was like, did that really happen or did I just imagine that? Like, did that, (laughs) was it really that bad at one time? And, you know, the the refrigerator trucks full of bodies and all that stuff that was going around. That they really had that propaganda, and they had that fear mongering out there. Mm-hmm. And it feels, it just, it, it feels like it never happened. Like you're saying, it, it was so extreme. And I was like you at the, you know, the beginning of it too, where I was afraid to express how I felt. And then I realized my entire career was predicated on the fact that I was willing to speak out yeah. and express my opinion. And if I didn't do it during a time where there was so much blatant manipulation happening or shame and guilt being pushed on people, it felt like I was just failing everything I'd I'd done as a writer up to that point. And so I write stuff that one week will have people feeling I'm very conservative. And the next week I'll write something that has people feeling I'm very liberal. And it's a good thing, because it means I'm a person. Like, I think most people are in the middle. And I had someone say to me one time, you know, why aren't you choosing a side? I said, so I have chosen a side. I've chosen the side of people.
0: Yeah, like, team people, baby. I, I'm Let's the, go. I'm, I'm the, yeah, I'm the side of everyone. Like, yeah. I'm the side of humanity. And, and people hate that. They want to put you on a they team. They hate here. They want to put you on yeah. one team or the other. Which, well, which jersey are you wearing? Fucking neither?
1: Because they want, they want to uh, be able to predict what you're going to think next. Yeah. I think unpredictability, um, it's why people try and control their own life. But it's also what makes it's also what people have a hard time accepting someone who's unpredictable because mm-hmm. they want to know where you're going next with everything and if they can put a label on you they feel like they can believe you know oh this is safely what he's going to do next yeah and so when you don't do that it drives people crazy
0: yeah yeah no i know it's uh it's interesting because you see and you know you watch, i'm re-watching uh game of thrones because my wife vailana hasn't seen it fuck that's a good show By the way, like I actually have the box set and I've never opened it. Oh shit I've seen a couple episodes on TV. Oh man, you'll get into it. It's such a good and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing how genius the writing is. How they've like how they foreshadow little bits of things that I didn't catch the first time because I didn't know where it was going mm-hmm. and I see how they dropped little clues all the way like the writing is so good the acting is so good obviously the st- the story is so unpredictable and I'm watching her not knowing you know what's going to happen which he's falling in love with the hero and that hero gets his fucking head cut off and she's like what the fuck just happened you know so many things about it are are great but one of the things that you realize is in there. In that story, much like in real life, in this kind of Machiavellian court of the king or subject to the, you know, the, the lynch mob back then, you had to be really careful because you could literally find yourself under the guillotine mm. if you said the wrong thing. So everybody was very measured and political and full of shit. Everybody was lying. I mean, this is the, the idea in the kind of the, the main court, it's king's landing and everybody's a liar there. And they talk about how everybody's just manipulative and lying because there was actual real threat to that. And in some ways the culture we're in now, there is real threat in that you can get canceled and lots of people did and got deplatformed, and a lot of shitty things that could affect quality of life to a certain degree, but it's not the same as it was because nobody's actually coming to kill you Mm -hmm. actually. And so yes, it requires courage, but actually if we look and say, what are they really actually doing? They're just throwing pixels at me. Like pixels that make words on a fucking post. You know, and those the people who've been able to stick to their truth and just walk through it, ultimately they've all walked through it. Unless they've done something actually legitimately egregious, uh-huh. then of course there's consequences of that. You know, there's consequences to your actions. But the people who've just said, nah, I, I'm not gonna allow this to diminish me and allow me to suppress myself. I mean, I just have such admiration for people who've had that courage and recognizing that it may seem like life or death when, you know, the Twitter lynch mob comes after you, which is half fucking bots anyways, at least like, but really though, you're going to be okay. It's a three day rule.
1: 72 hours, they'll be upset about something else. Right. Um, and I actually talked about in that book, Speech Therapy, um, you know, how to handle, you know, being canceled or people coming after you. And just like you said, I think you have to allow it to happen. I actually think it's a choice people make to allow themselves to be canceled because if you just keep going forward like you're like you said earlier keep weathering that storm in 3 days, 5 days a week it's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And the people you talk about and I'm sure we can probably name names here but if you watch how they handled it, it's typically what they did.
0: Just keep walking. They forward. kept
1: doing what they kept doing. They kept saying what they kept saying. Apologize if they, if they needed to. If they if they did something they felt was truly wrong, they'll apologize. But the worst thing you can do is apologize for something that you don't believe was wrong. Nope. Because as soon as you do that, for you feed <laughs> you feed them, yeah. and you have given them power over your beliefs,
0: and that's. Just a whole form of self-betrayal. Yeah, it's gaslighting yourself Mm -hmm. in a way. And and really, like you said, complete self-betrayal. And so holding, holding true and then having that ability to weather that storm and say like, no, this is what I believe. Change your, and also don't be stubborn. If if your belief changes, a lot of times you do learn. A lot of times you'll you'll say something and be like, damn, like I didn't think of, I didn't really think of that. I wasn't sensitive to that thing so then fucking acknowledge that or you know? like cats
1: aren't that bad you know cats are actually <laughs> right. pretty fucking cool <laughs> like why have i been talking shit on these felines for so many years when they're actually really good yeah and i have no problem admitting that now <laughs> but uh i'm all for changing your opinion when you're preve- you know presented with new information it's changing your opinion based on what you believe is public opinion that is yep. the big mistake to make. Yeah, you start to lose. You start to lose yourself, and, and that's like, when you're. That's when you're building an avatar. Mm-hmm. You're you're responding with what people want to hear, and and you know you do that long enough for a couple of years. You're gonna get to a point in your life when something really, you know, traumatic is gonna happen, and you need yourself to fall back on, and you don't know who that person is. Yeah, and you're not
0: ready, and you're not. You haven't been putting in the work to actually support yourself through it. You know, uh, an interesting meditation that I've been in, in a contemplation, I should say, um, is understanding that there's, you know, there's this idea about power corrupting, and I've never agreed with this idea. Like, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I forget which which guy fucking said that, but everybody parrots that same mm-hmm. thing, and I strongly disagree with that statement because I think power can reveal your innate corruption that you already have, but it doesn't create anything. It just actually reveals what's what's really there. And so I've been contemplating this and, I, and I've believed that firmly from the beginning, but I've been contemplating that, you know, as I've gotten more entrenched critics and people and haters out there. And there's this, there's this one group and I don't want to give them any more light, but they continue to just produce content, just fucking complete bullshit you know, about making shit up about me. And obviously, you know, I have plenty of forays into the magical realms. Well, someone told me you were a cult leader before I came on of this. course. Before I came on of this course. podcast. And, of course. And,
1: and I told him, I said, that means he sounds like an interesting person to talk <laughs> to. Like, yeah. I, I want to know who a cult leader is. <laughs> I don't yeah. believe it, but I've, I've heard that shit. for do you, from you, my donation-based
0: do, coaching just program. Just through friends of mine.
1: Yeah. Just when I told my friend, I was, oh, I'm going to, going to Austin. What for? Oh, I got a book signing. I'm going to go talk to Aubrey Marcus. Oh, that guy runs a cult. Like, I was like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> like, have you looked at anything this guy does? Yeah.
0: And so it's ideas like that, right? Which are like.
1: Kind of awesome fu- though what? at the
0: same time. They're kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. There's like, so I that. think of all the things you could be accused of in life,
1: being yeah. a cult leader is near the top of cool things to be <laughs> accused of. Like, Fair I, enough. I Fair honestly enough. believe that. I used to tell people, it's funny, when I, was, uh, when I was working in advertising, I said, the ultimate example of being a good marketer is starting a cult. <laughs> like if you can't start a cult, you're not as good as you think you are. And so I used to joke, I was like, you know when I'm like in my seventies, I'm just gonna start a cult just to see if I'm as good as I believe I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, in any case, there's obviously a lot of negative associations with that and and a bunch of bullshit that's not there. And I think cult, the root of cult is cultist, which means to worship. And it's also a part of culture. It's Mm -hmm. it's, It's creating something that people actually care about. And what people are talking about is our fit for service platform, which people fucking care about because you're going through initiatory practices together. We're doing breath work and ecstatic dance, but all of the shitty parts about being a cult, which is... Actually, planting ideas in other people's heads that aren't their own or keeping them stuck or using leverage or all that. And there's, there's none of that. People come in and they come out whenever they want to go to a summit, they can. And when they don't want to go to a summit, they don't. Well, it's not like a religion where you're requiring tithes every week. No, and... or is there a fixed set of beliefs uh-huh. where, like, what do you discover when you breathe? Like, figure it out and then talk about it. You know, it's like it's the antithesis yeah. of what that is. But these these peop the people like the people who with malice and also self-interest who are promoting themselves by trying to tear me down, the med- the contemplation was is like, if I had absolute power to be a wizard, you know, be a actual like wizard. Like a maincoon cat. Like a man coon cat yeah. with spells. Just and stoic. I could, and I could just I could just like cast a spell and that person would be walking near one of those little parking things and just slip and fall and then the nuts would crack right on the thing (laughs) like would I do that like would I I mean obviously I'm not thinking about death or anything like that would I like would I like be malicious back if I had that power to just cast a spell and do it and and when you receive malice and you had the power to actually be malicious back and you could do that without any consequences would you and like how so like The question then is, and this goes back to the power is like, if you had that power, then you would really know how good are you? Mm -hmm. You know, like how I say, like, receive that, you know, receive that and see beneath that and find the love that's underneath. And this is a deep part of my belief, but really like only in this contemplation have I realized like, well, fuck, if I was tested in that way, it would be a test. And I would have to pass through the gate at the point of receiving all of this malice. Could I pass through the gate and not use my power to actually be vengeful in that moment? You know, like how good. It sounds like the, am only,
1: I? the only way to figure that out is to start an actual cult. <laughs> you got to like actually start it and see what you do with it. Like you have to. Yeah. T- you're doing it just to test yourself. <laughs> just get to that point. Be like, all right, I, I'm good now. I don't need this anymore.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, and uh, and the ultimately. You know, Don Howard, one of my spiritual teachers always talked about that. Like anybody on this path has to confront the path of power Mm -hmm. and the path of power over other people. And like, what do you do when you have that? What do you do when you have that power? How, how do you respond? And that's how you actually get to know yourself. And when you know yourself as powerful and you know that you could, but you don't, then you know yourself as good because you've actually had the choice. It's like what Chris Rock used to say about you're only as faithful as your options Mm -hmm. Like, there's something that's really true cool. about that. Yeah. Like, are you faithful? I don't know. Has the Victoria's Secret model hit you up when you're on that business trip? Yeah. What are at your at the DMs end look of the like night? Right now? And you already said goodnight to your partner and she's like, come up to my room with me. And you're like, fucking A. Like, that's when you know if you're faithful. You know if you're faithful when you pass that crucible and you pass mm-hmm. that test. And it's not like, fuck, I don't know if I'll get caught. But if it's something like, no, my integrity says, says no. And then you really know yourself. Jordan Peterson says the same thing. You know yourself when you test yourself. And I think like finding, even if you're doing it hypothetically, like understanding that a lot of us really don't know how good we are or how or what we are until we've actually walked through that a little bit and recognized our own personal power and then decided, okay, I actually know who I am because I've made these choices. And then you start to make those positive choices. Then you really actually know yourself. And then that unwavering knowledge of self actually makes you invulnerable to those attacks because you're like, no, actually you're fucking full of shit. It's like if somebody, if you really know your, sexual, your sexuality, for example, and someone, it used to be an attack. It doesn't happen anymore because people know better, but like people would call you homosexual, right? In, in not those nice words, right? But if you know, you're like, bro, like I'm not gay like you really know that, it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt. But if you're like, fuck, I was looking at gay porn the other day and I, d- I just don't know, then it's like, <laughs> how dare you? I-, I can't believe you get all fl- flustered because you don't actually know. Yeah, And so I think if you get to the point where you really know yourself and you're like, no, I actually I actually know who I am. And because I've tested it and I understand, I understand what I, what is actually really inside that's the path to like really being strong and really being free this comes back to what we were talking about with vulnerability like uh the more
1: you do it the more you realize it's not as bad as you made it out to be in your head and you are testing yourself every time you speak out and express your true opinion yeah um and then you have you feel more comfortable doing it the next time and the next time and then when it really fucking matters when something huge happens you're not even going to second guess yourself because you're so comfortable with who you are and you've been through the crucible of people trying to cancel you. You've dealt with uh, thousands of DMs of people talking shit on you. Mm -hmm. So when you need to rely on yourself, you have yourself to
0: rely on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, it's an important thing to like, I think people are afraid also in some way of power because they're, they don't know, they don't know themselves. They don't know what they would do. They're used, not really sure. <laughs> I used to tell my
1: buddies, I, I remember in my 20s, I used to tell my friends, like, I am glad I'm not rich because I think I'd be dead. Um, <laughs> right. And I, and I meant Because you didn't it. trust In my 20s, if I would have had enough income, I would have probably just partied my ass off. I would have done so much stupid shit with that money because um, I didn't trust myself. I was trying to find myself. And- um, I heard someone say once that it's not wanting money that's wrong; it's what you want to do with that money that's wrong. Yeah. Like, there's no problem with becoming wealthy and successful, but why do you want to be wealthy and successful? And it, mm. you know, dovetails with what you're saying about what do you do with power. Yeah. And you know, at the time, of my 20s, I meant it. Like, I am, I am to this day, I'm very glad I was not that successful in my 20s. <laughs> we wouldn't be talking today. I know I wouldn't, because I know the shit I did do. Right. And if I would have had that kind of you know power because money is power
0: in a way, I, I would have abused it for well, sure. And, and you see that with so many you know child stars or so many people who come into fame. Mm. Fame is even it's even more dangerous than money or especially you know, it depends on how you
1: got that fame too.
0: Of course. of course. And then at that point, you can see this slippery slope and decline and it's almost like they haven't been tempered quite enough to. To reveal the cracks that were innately there, their Mm -hmm. own kind of attachment to their ego, their own desire for, you know, the darker side of the implementation of power, right? And they haven't tempered themselves. And so when that power comes, they're not really ready for it. And so I think it's a process, and they don't have the people around them who also, you know, because power can create this distortion field where everybody really wants something from you. And I think that's also the other dangerous Mm. part. They don't have real friends that they'll be like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, what, what, what the fuck was that? Like, imagine
1: becoming incredibly famous for lip syncing on TikTok. Like, if you've built this whole platform, you know, you got these people out there that have nine, 10 million followers for lip syncing and doing dance videos and then you suddenly have all this money and all this fame and you're faced with a moment that requires real integrity. Yeah. You're not going to have it because yeah. you, you didn't come into power by having integrity. You came into power by either being attractive or cute or, you know, or silly. And those are the kind of people like you're talking about the child stars who have the biggest downfalls because you know, it's, it's uh it's similar to uh they talk about this in the NFL, they call it helmet syndrome where you get these kids that are straight out of college and next thing you know, they're playing in the NFL, they have all this money and I can't remember what the statistic is, but the majority of NFL players go bankrupt later in life because they never had to manage small amounts of money. Sure. And so they suddenly have a lot to manage and like you're saying, everyone around them takes advantage of them and they call it helmet syndrome because they're not as recognizable as say a basketball player or a fighter yeah. because they have the helmet on on the field. So when they do go out they want to be seen and they want to be appreciated. And yeah, so they have a, they have a tendency to spend more money. They have a tendency to be the most boisterous. Um, and it comes from, you know what we're saying. like you don't you don't slowly build that based on integrity. And it's yeah. just if you don't have the right people around you to instruct you on how to use that kind of power, That's where people have that mindset
0: the ultimate power corrupts. Yeah, and the lack of the lack of elders, the lack of people who've walked through that fire Mm -hmm. before. It could be like, hey, listen here, young buck. Like let me let me tell you about when I was there Mm -hmm. and let me tell you about these lessons and then the respect for the elders. I think we've lost that. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of like old people, but not elders uh, who can really like guide us through. And I think that's another that is a beautiful thing about the internet culture that we have now is that people can find real elders that aren't in their family or aren't someone that they actually know who they can follow, who can talk about the lessons from the road and the lessons of the journey that people can assimilate that knowledge from.
1: Yeah. I mean, your parents can relate to you to a certain extent, but at some point your life's going to diverge from theirs and you need to look to other people that no more than you know like for example you know to use that football example again if you suddenly became you're the first in your family to ever have that kind of money you can't look to your parents you can't look to your grandparents right. for instruction on that you need to find other people that have been there and like you said that is the beauty of the internet and it is something that I do is lost in our culture um not just fun you know financial means but just in all this kind of spiritual stuff like if you're looking up towards these quote unquote anti uh, alpha males who are saying that being vulnerable is, you know, means you're open for attack. You, you that's not the right person to even be looking up to, right? Like, you they and I think you need to take that stuff with a grain of salt too, because you have to look at these guys' lifestyles. The people that are saying this and be like, Do you want that life? That life looks it's usually always a guy who's been twice divorced and has a couple kids that he's paying child support for, and he feels like he's being very taken advantage of by the world. Um, you look at guys like that and go, no, uh, why would I take advice from that guy? His life's horrible. Yeah. And I think about that a lot with just these people who become famous on social media and you look at their life it's like, you don't want, you
0: don't want that life. Like that life's. That's something that my buddy Chris horrible. Williamson talks about all the time It's like, horrible. you don't, you don't get to pick and choose just one aspect of a person. You have to take the whole thing. And when Elon Musk was on Joe Rogan's podcast. And he just looked straight at him and he's like, you wouldn't want to be me. And it was this really vulnerable moment of like, you may think all of this is badass. I mean, he's basically like fucking Iron Man, mm-hmm. you know, just the amount that he's wielding right now in the world and the technology he's developing, all of this. But his inner, his inner world, you know, for most of us to try and step into that, we would just fucking crack and break. Mm-hmm. And like the the amount of tempering that he's had to go through to actually be able to hold and still even to this day the discomfort that he kind of expressed that was under the surface of that simple line that he shared. It's true. You know, it's like we don't have any idea what people are actually dealing with in their own private life. Robin Williams seemed like a happy motherfucker to me. Clearly we see not. a lot of
1: celebrities. You
0: know? I had a buddy
1: that's uh he's a trust fund kid and he's the kind of, you know, individual that people want to hate on more than ever. Someone who has, you know, daddy's money. And he told me one time, we were, we were drinking a couple of years ago, having a pretty honest conversation. He said, he, similar thing as Elon. He's like, you, you wouldn't want my life. He's like, my relationship with my dad is so strained. And I'm the only male in my family. And I'm the one that's, you know, tasked with carrying on the family name. And, you know, his childhood growing up was very much, not what i would consider you know the childhood that i would have wanted to have but it's part of you know stepping into this legacy that his his family had built i remember him saying that to me and at the time i was thinking hey, what are you what are you fucking crazy man yeah. like of course i want your fucking <laughs> life like it's, it seems pretty easy yeah um but as i get older and i think about it, especially being a father now i i understand it and i was like damn man i would not want those wounds that i know he's still carrying and i yeah. see the way his life is now. And he's, you know, basically my same age. And I see the way he's still living the way we talked about, you know, going out, you know, he goes to Top Golf, and he's one that buys all the bottle service and pays for everyone's good time. And I see him still doing that in his mid thirties. And I'm just like, man, that just, you're just not, you know, he's not sure of himself. He doesn't know who he is aside from the family name. And I can see that in him and I feel for him.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was, uh, I'm, and i think this will segue into talking about kids which i know is something that you know you want to want to talk about oh, yeah, something being that's a dad's on awesome. my mind as well but you know my dad was wealthy you know, he was a commodities trader he was written about in this book called market wizards who's one of the early pioneers in commodities trading which is buying and selling so of and so you say you want to be metals. a wizard your dad actually was a wizard <laughs> Yeah, I'm a wizard of of the markets yeah okay uh so he had he had quite a bit of money and so i had a lot of fucking Beautiful blessings from that. You know, I didn't have to pay for my college. Hmm. You know, I've worked in the summers at things that I wanted to do. Like I was a, a script reader for a production company and I would explore different things, but that it was wasn't fun. because I had to fucking earn. You know, it was like, well, I, I love writing. Let me do this. Or I love this. Let me do this. You know, so it was, it was about desire, but not about like I had to. So of course, so many blessings from that. And I don't ignore all those blessings, but I'm really glad that there was never any trust there was never any amount of money that I got from him. I had to earn, as soon as I got out of college, I had to start earning. And he, there was just never anything that was ever there. And of course, there was the hypothetical when my father passed, the hypothetical fucking you know, amount of money that I would get when I was whatever, 55 or 60 or whenever the fuck that was gonna happen. But that's not enough to actually demotivate me. But I can imagine that if I had a trust if he set up a trust where I had a bunch of money that I got when I was 30, you know, I started on it when I was 30 and really got going when I was 31. What if there was like a fucking $10 million trust? That you I wouldn't have started I, it. Right? You would have. You Or would have, I would have maybe started it, but I'm like, ah,
1: fuck, didn't work. Not with the same tenacity. Not, not you, even close. You would have been biding time. You're like, I'm, right. basi- I'm basically just waiting until I'm 30. Uh, right. Like, you would have just been. Taking advantage
0: of. It could have derailed my whole fucking life. Uh-huh. If I would have had a trust, it could have derailed my whole life. So the fact that I didn't, I'm so grateful for. So now that I've come into my own wealth, and actually my family didn't invest a penny in on it at all. You know, I got that from my buddy, Bodie That's Miller, awesome. and I got that from this other friend named Howard. And Howard and Bodie put in 110 grand, took a chance on me. And then we built on it from there. And, and then obviously we sold it recently. And so now I've come into my own money, but I'm thinking about my kids. And I think this really ultimately people talk about, it would create generational wealth. It's like, whoa, what are you gonna do? Fuck up every generation <laughs> that comes, you know, comes after you? Cause you have to be really, really careful with that shit. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, I wanna tell my kids from the start, like, I got you. Like whenever, if ever you need something or you're in trouble or you have an idea that you need some support with or whatever, like we can talk about it. And if it's a solid fucking business plan, like I'll be there for you. And I got you all all the way going through school while you're exploring and learning. But there is no trust and there is no inheritance. Like I want to end my life having given away every bit of money that I've earned to the places that need it the most. Like, and people are talking about, setting things up so that you have this big like in, endowment or this big inheritance I'm like I don't think that's the right model I think really the goal should be to accumulate as much as you desire to accumulate and then distribute that energy to a, to make the world a better place and allow your kids to create their own energy like I feel like that's it's something that I want to make very clear from the start because I know how valuable it was for me not to have had that you know not to have had this easy way out because if you have the easy way out it's tough it's tough to not take it well i think in a way when you choose to leave behind a trust or inheritance you're
1: almost making your child's decisions for them after your death it's a it's a way of exerting control over their life path sure and i can see it my buddy i don't think he'd be doing what he does for work if it wasn't the family business yeah it doesn't seem like it's something that really you know interests him um it's why people say you know your job as a parent is to give your kids opportunities you didn't have, but your job's not to decide their life for them. Yeah. And had your dad chosen to leave you behind a certain amount of money at an age, it would have essentially been deciding your life for you. Sure. I think the way that you're approaching it is the right way to do it. I think the one thing I'd want to leave behind, you know, for my posterity is like, you know, property kind of stuff. I, I yep. like the idea of like having a family house that's I agree.
0: always been the family house. It's, it's, that's something that is the, that is the caveat to that, which would be I would probably put, you know, we have a fucking unbelievable ranch in Sedona yeah. and that and, a, and an unbelievable ranch. It's actually part of a nonprofit that's already in, in Lockhart, Texas mm-hmm. here, which is close. And I see these properties as properties that, would never be sold and i would probably actually put those in a trust so that they could never be sold but that the family could always be fully paid off the trust would have enough to pay all the property taxes or whatever but they would be in the family forever and that's that is something that that is that is the exception to what i'm saying because there's certain things that are so special you know it's like and to know that I grew up in this place and had all my fucking crazy medicine journeys and spent all of this time and have all of these memories soaked in those walls and in this land. And I sweat in the sweat lodge and I fucking, you know, bled out there on the basketball court when I was giving hell to my mm-hmm. buddies and, and did all the things in this place and loved and laughed. And like, I would want that for my kids too.
1: Essentially, when you're leaving behind property, you're leaving behind memories. Yeah, and- Totally. You know, at my age, I would love if I had, like, if my great-grandfather had a ranch somewhere I could still go visit. It, it, that would be so meaningful to me, to be able to go stand in the place where I knew, like, generations before me stood. Um, you know, it's that Yellowstone model. I don't know if you watched that show. I didn't watch that show. That's, but a I heard show that, that's a show that I got into. Like, you're into Game of Thrones. Like, I was pretty obsessed with Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they leave behind the property to their their you know posterity, but they don't leave them money really because they still have to operate the ranch, they still course. have to run the cattle on the property, which is you know what Yellowstone's predicated on, and that is the right way to leave behind a legacy, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and memories
0: just, and all, and the memories and knowledge, you know, and love, love is love is the ultimate legacy. Right? Absolutely, how much can you love? One of the things that really I've been realizing about kids, and you know, I'll be I'll be real honest here. There's A big part of my motivation in life was to be successful so that I could increase my ability to meet the fucking dream girl. Like Mm. when I remember, I had a moment, (laughs) I had a moment when I was, I I think I actually used a fake ID to get in there. I was in Vegas and there was this show called La Femme and it was like, uh, it was like the crazy horse show in Paris, but they brought the Paris show to the MGM Grand. Okay. And it was just, unbelievable unbelievably beautiful burlesque dancers and this like beautiful art and light and topless dancing thing and i was there alone i was on like just a trip out there i don't know what maybe my family was doing something i don't know why the fuck i was there when i was like 19 or something like that had a fake id that i got from a I got from a stand here in texas that just said oh, wow. fake ids and i got so i got a louisiana id and uh and on the back of it, it said "not a real ID." Oh wow! But but it looked like it was printed in the same way that you would print everything. It just all the text instead of saying like the normal text that was on it. It said "not a real ID," so people would look at it. They'd turn it over, and it would literally say "not a real ID." And that's, I guess, how they did it legally. Yeah, I was,
1: so, yeah, I was gonna say that, so they can. So people just sell like it.
0: look at it and be like, "All right," because that like they would just not expect to see it. But anyways, I'm in the farm. I'm 19. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at the women who are on stage and I'm thinking to myself and I was really frustrated as a lover at that point. Like I never was able to be with the the woman that I really liked. I would be like so, so obsessed and like writing poetry for some, some, you know, girl that I was just like dreaming about being with and it never worked out. And, but I had some nice relationships, but it was always like, while I was looking at somebody else, they would be looking at me and I'd be like, Oh yeah. Okay. I guess we'll do this. It's in convenient. The in the meantime, you know, in the meantime, you're we'll abiding have...
1: time, Like yeah. you had the trust fund yeah, was totally. where your eye was, but you're abiding time totally. with the other
0: ones. Totally. So in that moment, I just started getting tears in my eyes and I made this solemn vow. It was like, I will do whatever it takes in this world. And I was sipping Crown Royal on ice. And that was kind of my drink when I was younger. I had three older stepbrothers. So I was drinking whiskey from when I was 11. I managed to make it out. All right. This is not a recommendation <laughs> to do that. Uh, but anyways, I'm drinking, drinking my whiskey and I'm watching this. I was like, I'll do whatever I need to do to be as awesome a human in all, all categories from success to knowledge, to humor, to money, to strength, to whatever the things that make a man attractive, I'm going to be that so that I could ask one of these girls on a date and they would say, yes, (laughs) you know, and it was like this solemn vow. And some part of me, was yes I want to offer and also deeply wanted to impact the world I felt like I always had a message to offer the world that was important that was early early currents and it shifted a lot but those were some of the early sparks so both of these things were in tandem my desire to contribute to the world and my desire to make myself the type of man that could get the girl of my dreams right both of those were intact and actually through my polyamory journey which was eight years and I had an amazing partner Whitney and we had a great relationship but I was still polyamorous so the, de- the desire to find another beautiful woman that would like me was still a deep part of my motivation. Then I meet Vilana. Holy shit. She is the woman of my dreams. I fucking did it. I won. I won the game. That solemn vow that I made to myself, which was to be the most holistically awesome person so that when I found the, the woman of my dreams, she would want me it worked in some way. And, and again, it was a holistic desire. I wasn't singularly focused on money or power. I was going to
1: say, cause there's two ways that can go. You have a lot of guys that have that motivation, but they do it with the sake of money and power. Like if I have this car, if I have this kind of house, right. if I have this kind of club, I'm going to meet these kind of women. Um, The way you approached it, I would say is the right way to approach it. Cause you have a lot of people who, how do I attract this, this person in my life? Well, you become the
0: person that is
1: worthy of someone like that. And worthy of someone like that, yeah. honestly.
0: And if you're if you're attracting, like you get what you're fishing with. If you're fishing with money and you're fishing with these other lures, like you're going to catch a fish that is attracted to that type of lure. Like I wanted them to be attracted to my essence. Mm. That's the real type of it's relationship. It's a great way
1: to look at things too because I always have this, this similar um, outlook. The men that try and attract women with money. It's like, why do you want that though? Like, is money all you have to offer? Right. You don't believe you have anything else. And so you'll see a lot of people lead with the one thing they feel they have to offer. And you'll see people that are very attractive and they won't develop any other character trait. They'll just focus on their looks. Yep. Do you want someone who only wants you for that one thing, though? Because that one thing is likely not, it's not
0: always going to be there. Right. Like, there's a risk you could lose that one thing. And you're not going to attract what you actually want you know, which is someone who loves you for you.
1: And allows you to be you and allows you to grow. And, you know, you don't feel that you have to put on a front for them. Yeah. And you don't feel like you have to, you know, I I think that you're talking about people with power. I I see this being an issue. If, If you were someone who's really famous and you were like a musician, for example, and you attracted someone because you were in a band, um, Where are you 10 years from now when you're no longer touring, though? And you're no longer that musician. Like, do they still want to be with you or are they just attracted to the musician, the lead guitar player, and the lifestyle kind of thing? Yeah. And I can see why someone in that kind of limelight would have a very hard time trusting
0: people. For sure. You know, and I think the, it's also, you have to be aware of the other side of that, the shadow of that, which is, I just want someone to love me as I am. So I'm just going to sit around and play fucking video games and not read books and not go to the gym because yeah, yeah. I want them just to love me as I am. Well, be better. Like it's okay to be better. <laughs> you know what I like mean? Like you want
1: someone just as slovenly as you. Like, yeah, exactly. You, are you attracted to yourself? You want someone that's exactly <laughs> like you right uh-huh. now. Chances are you don't. Right. The people that are like that are probably still looking towards these people like you are. They're looking towards these... These women or men that are, you know, powerful, status, uh, attractive, artistic, and they're thinking, I want someone like that, but I want them to love me for who I am. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not going
0: to happen, man. because yeah. who you are is kind of a piece of shit right now. <laughs> yep. So all right, so I'm bringing this all the way back around to kids. So fundamentally, okay, I meet my I meet my dream woman. I'm so fucking happy in this marriage. It's unbelievable. I love her so much. It seems much. that way. I like I to see I love her it. so much. She's amazing. Yeah, I like seeing the way you champion her. It's cool. Oh, she's the fucking best. It's so easy. And I get emotional just thinking about it because literally, like, this is my dream. And I, I fucking got it more than anything else. This was like one of the deepest desires of my life. And here I am. And it's and it's fucking there. And it's amazing. And it's it's better than I ever could have imagined. And sure, it has its challenges and it's not all polyamory fairy that. tale fantasy. It has its own difficulties, of course. But like, I got I got there. And so one of the challenges now that I'm there, this big thing that's been motivating me my whole life, which is to be awesome so that women will like me. I'm like, well, fuck, I've got the, I got the woman of my dreams and she really loves the deepness of my core essence. And so the desire to be awesome, I can't motivate my sa- myself the same way. So I still have the desire to help the world, but also I'm doing a lot for the world and also, you know, the people who I love are, are well taken care of. So it gets me starting to think about, so there's sometimes like a crisis of me really caring. Like I'll be like, man, I really, I, I really have this idea to produce this thing or create this thing and. And I'm kind of forcing myself to do it out of my own like diligence and dedication. and, and it, But it's, it's a push rather than a pull, getting pulled by this mm. motivation. But then I think about having a kid and I know like, uh, I, I bet, I bet the next thing, the next thing that'll give me that extra bit of motivation, that extra bit of I fucking care even more is when I see my kid and I think, oh shit. I gotta really, I gotta make a world a better place for my son and for my daughter, you know? I feel like in that moment, it will be a whole new paradigm that I'll step into where I'm gonna care in the same way I used to care, you know, but just for a different reason. What you're gonna
1: find too, and what you're saying is exactly what happened for me. what I found and what I believe you're going to find is, too, when you are when you become a father, you think, if I were to die, what would my kids remember me by? And it almost forces you to step up and be a very courageous individual and to be someone that your son or daughter be proud to mm-hmm. say that was my dad. And that's one of the things that motivated me, not so much changing the world, but just being a man of character. Yeah because um, you don't know how many years you're going to have with them to really imprint memories of yourself. And I would like my son, whenever I do pass, you know, hopefully before him, uh, to be proud of me and be like, yeah. that was my dad. Yeah. And it's made decisions easier for me. It's made it's made it very... It's simplified a lot of complex issues in my life because um, I no longer... Am as concerned with how other people perceive me as long as my child perceives me a certain way, Mm -hmm. and the analogy I use for this is: I used to be someone who hated when people brought kids to a nice restaurant. (laughs) I I couldn't stand it. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Especially when I lived in New York City. Uh, Yeah, for sure. But now I look at those people and I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" Like that's a person who truly doesn't care because they know all of you. (laughs) <laughs> are going to be upset with them. Yeah. But what they want to do is they want to have a nice meal with their kid and perhaps they want their kid to try this dish here that makes the best, you know, key lime pie there is. They want that kid to experience that and they're here to give them that and they don't give a fuck what any of you think about it. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, I say, you want to know someone who truly doesn't give a fuck? It's someone bringing a kid to a five-star restaurant. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I, I'm like that now. Like I take my kid, I was down on Rainy Street yesterday with my son, walked into a bar with him because I wanted some barbecue food from that bar. And like, I don't care if you don't want a kid in your bar. Like I'm walking in with him, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hold him the whole time. Yeah. Um, and it's just made me so much more carefree as an individual because your whole purpose is trying to give them memories and show them life. And from a writer's perspective, um, the book I'm working on now is a similar idea. I told myself, you know, if if I were to die, what would my son remember me by? I was like, I need. I feel the need to write a memoir. I used to think that writing a memoir before the age of 50 was very, like, uh,
0: self-indulgent.
1: It it was, yeah, self-indulgent. It was like, who who the fuck are you to write a memoir under 50? Like, you haven't lived. You haven't sailed the world on a ship. Like, you're not someone to talk about it. (laughs) Um, But now I'm like, man, I just want to write one because I do feel like people can relate to my story. I've had a lot of good feedback from when I have talked about it on various podcasts. But also, I just want to write it so if something happens, my son could read it and be like,
0: get a pretty good grasp of who his dad was. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful to think about. I also think about, too, there's lots of little aspects of myself that I know I want to change. But, you know, I can get by <laughs> without changing them. But if I have a, a child that I know that I'm going to imprint those characteristics, uh-huh. like so many of my dad's neuroses, he didn't try to pass them on to me. He didn't teach me his neuroses. Mm-hmm. I just got them. Fear of, like, he had an intense fear of getting, like sinus colds and just regular things like that. It was like he was so stressed about it and that passed on to me. You know, like I fucking get so like if I start to feel a tickle in my nose I'm like oh god, here it comes. These little things that I've struggled with my whole life to a certain not huge things. The big things I've tackled like you know, he would f- fly into fits of rage sometimes and repress things, repress things till they bottled up and then explode and those things I had to work through earlier and I put my diligence in because that affected the people that i was in partnership with it affected a lot of people Mm -hmm. and it affected employees i remember you know i got i lost my temper with an employee one time and then it was just an awful situation i was like fucking never again like you're never going to do that again and so i've worked on the big stuff that passed but so much of the little stuff i've just kind of put off but i don't want i don't want to you know have my child pick up on all of these little things that I've been too lazy to actually fix within myself because it's not that big a deal when it's only me because I can withstand it, my own little neurotic anxieties and my own little bullshit. But when I have a kid that's learning from me, not by what I'm teaching them, but by what they're sensing and feeling, fuck yeah, all right, let's go. Like It's time to really fully heal all of this so that they have a chance Sure, they can develop their own neuroses, but they're not going to get them from me. You know what I mean?
1: uh, I think Jordan Peterson recently said, uh, it's almost impossible to mature until you become a parent. Mm -hmm. And I would have been someone to disagree with that wholeheartedly years ago. But once you become a parent, exactly what you're saying, it's you no longer have the excuse to ignore the little things about yourself that you know you should fix. Um, And my son's only 13 months now, but he'll pick up on things like tonality um he'll like you know he he can't you know produce a bunch of words yet but he'll mimic back noises to you in a tone that was very similar to the way i just said yeah, something yeah. and you know if i if i lose my temper and i'm frustrated for a bit i can see in his face that he's scared of me at that moment sure. even if like if i'm on a phone call or if i'm you know talking to someone and my son just happens to be witnessing it it's a hard thing to see cuz you realize that even though he's young he's picking up your energy He's picking up your tone and he's starting to learn how to process things already. He's starting to, you know, parrot stuff back to you. And it's like they say, you know, your your, your children are a reflection of you. Like they mm. mirror back all the bad behaviors you have. And the good ones. And the good ones. And that's what I've really enjoyed about writing a book during this period of having my son as young as he is. It's forcing me to, like we talked about earlier, reparent myself. But as I go back and think, when did I pick up this ha- habit? what caused me to have this habit? Is it something I, I could have avoided? And it's just been so interesting to look at my past in a way i never would have approached if I hadn't become a dad. Yeah, And it's so, honestly, if you're someone who enjoys learning, which I know you are, it's fun. Yeah. It's painful, but it's fun. Like, because you feel like every day you're progressing. Uh, you don't get in that rut feeling of everyday being the same if you look at it from a different perspective. Um, it's been so fucking enjoyable. And before, I remember when I first found out I was going to be a dad, uh, I wasn't ready. And I was a horrible partner to my girlfriend for probably the first couple weeks. weeks um, because I was so paranoid that it was going to strip away any bit of my life I enjoyed. And I started drinking really heavily again. And I hadn't drank you know, much up to that point. I'd kind of stopped and was kind of over it. I started drinking heavily again. And I just had the hardest time coming to terms with the fact I was going to be a father. And a lot of it came from, I realized I was surrounding myself with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Because when I announced that I was going to be a dad and it got out, most of the messages I received from men were the messages along the lines of, oh shit, your life is over. Oh, what are you going to do now? Mm. Just the very negative, even from other fathers. Like I had people who were dads say that to me and I'm just thinking, whoa. And I was at a point of just being so emotionally vulnerable because I was struggling with it that I internalized that. And it made me terrible. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had a talk with an old acquaintance of mine and he has five kids. And he told me, he said, Kyle, being a dad's the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me more motivated. It's made me more successful. It's made me just try harder in life. It's given me a whole new motivation. Care. Yeah, and, it's, and he was someone who was very financially successful. He had a, a fun lifestyle. And he told me that, and it just kind of jostled something loose in my head because he was the first... Unfortunately, he was the, aside from my dad and my brothers like immediate family members, he was the first male in my life who said something positive to me about it. And then I remember thinking, man, every single person that has given me negative feedback lives a lifestyle that I think is fucking awful. Like I can't think of one person that I want to emulate their life. Why am I internalizing any of that? Yeah. Like their life is terrible. Like My life's going to be what I want to make it. My my parenthood journey is going to be what I want to make it. And it completely flipped it on its head. And the next day I woke up and I was just stoked. I was ready to be a dad. I was like, oh, it's going to be so awesome. I'm going to get so much inspiration. I'm going to learn so much about myself. I'm going to have a bond that otherwise I'll never have. And it just completely filled my life with joy. And even to this day, like I have... I'm remorseful when I think of to how I was the first month when I see him smile or laugh. And it's just one of those things that I'm, I'm happy to talk about, even though it's shameful, because I know I'm not the only man that's felt that way or is going to feel that way. And I'm pretty fervent in mentioning it because I want other people if they do ever get filled with that doubt to know that it's just complete bullshit. Mm. Um, I had someone else say to me, well, it, w- it was like a joke. Someone said, uh, I don't want to have kids cause I want to fly business class. And I told them, I said, my buddy has five kids and just bought his second jet.
0: <laughs>
1: so it really is a difference of just perspective.
0: Yeah.
1: Like there's absolutely nothing kids are going to hold you back from. Um, I love it, and I'm stoked for you to become a dad. It's funny because I actually remember listening to some of your older podcasts six months ago, and I started kind of digging into your your uh, back catalog, and I remember thinking, I wonder if this guy's going to have a, have kids. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be? Is this the kind of dude who doesn't want to have kids? Because I feel like he's the kind of person that should have kids. <laughs> and when sure. I heard you talk about in a recent episode, you're going to start trying. I was like, fuck yeah. yeah, fuck yeah! Like this is someone who should have a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know for current dads who are listening. I think one of the things that I think is the most powerful, even if you can't change yourself right now, if you can bring awareness to what you're doing, and I think kids are always smarter than you think they are, and like you bring awareness to what you're doing, and you own, you know, your own neuroses, and you own your own shit. Like, hey, you see how I talked to mom there well, this is a really bad habit that Mm -hmm. dad has, you know, and I picked up this habit from my dad and I get this feeling and it comes up and then I stop thinking clearly and I start, you know, imagining that mom did something when really she didn't because I'm not seeing from her perspective. And then later, like right now I recognize what I did and then I go apologize to mom for it, you know, and you like walk them through Mm. like the actual inner intricacies of what's happening. Like, that's, I think, the necessary first step. It'll help you change, first of all, but also that brings the child on the inside of the experience, and so they actually get to learn from you directly. Even though some of the imprinting may still happen, it'll mitigate so much of the the subconscious patterning that's happening because you're going to create a pattern interrupt where you explain what happened, and they'll understand the world. They'll understand the fallibility of being a human. They'll understand so many things, and even though I'm not a parent yet, I just, I know that from all my sisters and all the people and my own, you know, being a child myself, like if I could just have understood everything a little bit better and really gotten it and like really been able to be on the inside, I think that's the, that's the first most important step. I would agree. And I think you and Aaron talked
1: about it when you said, you know, learning out loud. It's it's that ability to own up to your mistakes and admit that you're still human yourself. And it's probably the best thing you can pass on to any child is just not having shame or guilt when you make mistakes. Like that happens. Like you own them and you learn from it and it's okay to talk about it. And that's something that I, whether it was intentional or not, I I can imagine it was not intentional. I didn't have a lot of that growing up because of the religious aspect. Yeah, Because it seemed like the answer to everything was scripture or prayer and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I just do not want my child to feel in any way, shape, or form. Like, I don't want him to feel like there's someone looming over him, judging him for everything he does. Like, I remember, like, a super stupid story, but I remember uh, I remember when I was, like, 14 or 15, I remember thinking uh, the reason I couldn't get a girlfriend is because I looked at porn. And I thought <laughs> I thought that God had seen me looking at porn and was, like, punishing me for looking at porn. And at that age in my life, I didn't have enough to really kind of Pull back from and realize that was a bullshit belief. Yeah, but like that kind of shame and guilt and feeling like something's always
0: judging you is just—it's awful. No, it's not awful. the way. Well, Kyle, let's do this again when I have kids, man. Absolutely, be fun. I want to. I want to come back and I'd have that to. conversation with yeah. you. And uh, it's been a real, ple- a real pleasure, yeah. brother. Thanks for having me on. It's been absolutely. Good time. You got a bunch of books. You got a new one coming out, right? uh new one's like,
1: that's the newest one speech, speech therapy's therapy is the newest one i have one What's in the, the wor- book signing for is it, is it for book this signing one? is actually for my older books called fucking history <laughs> and it's <laughs> cool. uh it's like a humorous approach on a bunch of historical stuff that people might not have known so yeah. i'll actually be doing the book signing tomorrow for that one because that one went through a major publisher and the publishers are the ones that set all that up
0: yeah oh man well this is awesome um follow you where where can people find more of your stuff and yeah if you go
1: on instagram or twitter sgr sdk or just type the cap then you should find it
0: yeah right on brother thanks for coming on and much Thank love you. everybody peace thanks for tuning into this podcast with kyle creek everyone if you're listening to this podcast right now i'm at burning man but i will see you next week on the podcast and i look forward to telling you about all of the crazy stories of everything that is surely going to be happening at burning man much love